Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I'm your host, Andrew Brand. We are ably produced by the one and only Brian Neal, musical producer. That music you hear below, that's my son, Sam Brandt. Really special edition today. We're at a slow time, obviously, for the business of sports and my primary sport, which is, of course, the NFL. We talked a lot about college sports the past couple weeks. This is a time of reflection. So I'm going to do something that's been long anticipated by my listeners, answer questions. And I'm not going to have any specific question by this listener or that, but sort of a collection of the most popular questions that I get through email, through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram, through my emails that I get, through texts, through people reaching out. I'm going to sort of give you a potpourri of those. And I'm going to do these from time to time because I know they can be evergreen. You can listen to them at any time. And they can be popular. So I'm going to be talking about my thoughts about if I would ever go back to a team, my thoughts about my morning routines, memories from the Packers, get some questions about my time with the Eagles I haven't talked about much, Uh, working as an agent versus team. We'll talk about all that. And first a word in a minute, but first a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Hey, it's a big week. McGregor versus Poirier 3. It's all set. UFC 264 DraftKings Sportsbook is right there. It has a knockout offer this weekend for the fight. 264 to 1 odds on a knockout in the first round during the main event. If the rubber match ends in a first round knockout, you walk away with the cash. So you just pick either main event fighter and you say they're going to win by a first round knockout. They'll give you 264 to 1 odds. That's right. You bet $1 on McGregor or Poirier to win by first round knockout. You get $264. Don't worry if MMA is not for you. DraftKings has other odds, promotions, basketball, of course, the finals coming up, hockey, and so much more. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it now. Use code ROST. When you sign up, you turn $1 into $264 when you bet on a main event fighter to win by first-round knockout. Place your bet. Watch Watch the fist fly this weekend. Code Ross, turn $1 into $264, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right. Speaking of getting with it, I've gotten so many questions over the years, over the months, over the weeks. And I've had requests to kind of do this kind of podcast. So what I'm going to do is sort of go through some of these main questions. Like I said, it's not going to be from Joe in Springfield, Missouri. It's just going to be this question, and it's come in various forms from various readers and listeners and viewers of mine over the years. So let's get into it. Okay. First one I get a lot is um, it's something to the effect of this. Andrew, you seem very disciplined with fitness, with your work and you're carrying so many different jobs. Are there some morning routines or some routines that you can share with us? Well, I get up early. Uh, I don't know if that's a symptom of getting older or a symptom of just being a boring guy, but I try to get to bed early and get up early in terms of getting to bed. You know, I, I try to limit myself to television at the most one hour a night, except for ball games. You know, sometimes obviously football during the season, I'll watch games at night. Basketball is the other sport I tend to watch probably more pro than college. And I'll watch some of these NBA playoffs. A lot of them big Sixers fan, just from my time living here, kind of appreciate what they did. Got to know Sam 
hinky a bit and putting together the process. So I watch those. My boys are big fans of the Sixers as well. They're not in it now, but still watching some of the events. But with a non-sports night, I'll try to get to bed before 11. I'll try to watch no more, certainly, than an hour of television. What do I watch? My go-to is Law & Order SVU, Mariska Haggerty. I'll watch that whenever it's on, basically. I'll watch reruns. I'll, I like all the characters throughout the years. And now there's a new show with Chris Merloni, who was, of course, the primary uh, partner with Mariska Haggerty and SVU for so many years. He's a truly compelling character. You know, also the NBC uh, Dick Wolf collection. I like to watch Chicago PD. I think that character, Voight, Jason Begg, B-E-G-H-E, is just a, a really another one of these compelling characters on television you can't keep your eyes off of. I say that about Merloni. I say that about Haggerty. Just when I watch television, there are people that just they, they stop and stare. And the show about this Philadelphia area with Kate Winslet, the mayor of Easttown, she's that as well. Just, just can't stop watching. Um, so, again, about a one-hour limit for myself on television at night. Um, you know, again, this sounds very boring. I just mentioned Mayor of Easttown. I'm not really a, a binge-watch guy. I just don't do it. You know, I, I just watch so few TV. I just think there's so many. I, again, I don't want to sound like a nerd, but more productive things to do. But I will wind down with television at the night. And, again, it's SVU or The Office. You know, Comedy Central showing those Office reruns is, off, is awesome. Uh, love The Office. <laughs> Can't stop laughing at Dwight. Um, you know, love the little romantic, uh, give and take with Jim and Pam, you know, it's a great show. Um, favorite shows come from the Larry David line, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and, um, of course, Kirby enthusiasm, <laughs> which is probably the one show I laugh at more than others. I mean, it's just amazing. Family guy, love family guy. Uh, my son's got me into family guy long ago. But Kirby Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, my brush with fame as I grew up with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Elaine on Seinfeld. We were friends growing up, kind of lost touch after college. But, uh, yeah, that was – went on a date, but I'm being brigacious there. It was a double date, and she was with another guy. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was getting to morning routine. So that's kind of the nightly routine. But getting up in the morning, I do get up early. Uh, you know, I really try to – desensitize myself in the morning. In other words, stay away as long as I can from looking at the phone. I mean, I have to get the phone going because I want to punch up tunes, usually some mellow music, some uh, even like uh, spa music or common classical in the morning. You know, my, my music selection revs up during the day, but starts very mellow. Uh, it could be some jazz. It could be some classical. It could be kind of this, like, like I said, spa music, relaxation music. Uh, yoga music, whatever it may be. You know, back in the day, I used to run out of bed into fitness. So five, 10 minutes after getting up, going to the bathroom, I'd lace up the shoes, get out on a run, a bike, a lift. That's changed in my older age. I'm not sure why, but I also have just found that my mind works the best early in the morning for writing, for reading, for reflection. So what I tend to do is I don't do that anymore. Again, assuming I, I can schedule my own mornings, which I'm very fastidious about, I will get up and then just have quiet time with, with like I said, the, the background music. 
where I'm writing. What do I write? I write my Sports Illustrated column. I write my Sunday newsletter and I write journal. You know, I journal. I write about thoughts, things going on in my life, personal feelings in my journal. I try to do it every day. Um, so that's going on in the morning. And then it's reflection with readings. You know, I, I get newsletters. I get people that send me things. I see articles everywhere. But in reading and writing in the morning, I do try to wait at least an hour from opening the computer, at least an hour before tapping into social media. Not that there's anything against social media. I don't have these negative feelings like a lot of people do about social media. I just think that morning is a time for me of reflection and social media brings on a time for reaction. To me, reaction is later in the day, getting back on emails, getting back on calls, doing things that are required of the day. And if you can, if you can sort of make social media a reflective time in the morning, which I try to do, I put out quotes in the morning, I'll maybe comment on something and obviously I put out all my content, but I make Twitter just kind of a, a, a lighter not a lighter, but a, a more deeper feed in the morning than reactive. I try not to be reactive. So again, these, this is just kind of my thing, reflective in the morning, reactive later in the day. So I'm reading, I'm writing uh, in the morning with my tea. Yes, I'm not a coffee drinker, never liked it, never have. I'm a green tea drinker. I'm a snob. I try to have only loose leaf tea and steeped. I'm not into the bad tea, but of course... I'll have to be back. Us tea drinkers, we're the, we're the ugly step redheaded stepsisters. When I go to hotels, you rarely can find tea. I mean, it's all, it's all coffee. But anyway, that's my little pet peeve about tea and coffee. We're the second citizens, us tea drinkers. So after a couple hours, reading, writing, reflection, stretching, I do a lot of stretching, uh, I'll get out the door. And my fitness routines change from time to time past few years I've been doing not triathlons but duathlons because I was getting rolled over on the swims in triathlons. I'm small, big guys come over me. I went into a triathlon in Philly. Guy next to me, 41-year-old male carrier, never done a triathlon before. Good guy walking into the water with him. Six hours later, I found out he died. And yes, it can happen. It can be drowning. It can be heart attack. No one knows. No matter how many kayaks you got out there, you're going to, you know, these things happen. You tell people someone drowned that aren't triathletes, they're like, oh my God. You tell triathletes that someone drowned, they're like, yeah, it happens. <laughs> that's just the mentality. And so that spooked me for good. So what I do is duathlons. Now, there aren't as many duathlons as triathlons, but they tend to be very serious. A lot of guys that are really strong do athletes out there that I see in all the races I do. So it's run, bike, run. I tend to do the shorter ones, probably two 5Ks wrapped around a bike. That's probably 12 to 15 miles. It's pain. The last one I did was Memorial Day weekend in a driving rainstorm. That was pain, but I'm glad I made it through. You know, life is about experiences. I was wrangling with myself at four in the morning, that morning Memorial Day weekend, like it's howling rain wind out there. I'm like, I'm really going to do this. And then I realized I'd be kicking myself all weekend and more if I didn't. So I did. And I made it through. This year, I'm doing another challenge. Uh, I follow this guy, Jesse Itzler. He's part owner of the Hawks. He's probably best known for marrying Sarah, whatever her name is, who's founded Spanx. Uh, he's just a motivational guy. He's good friends with Gary Vee, who I've advised. And he does these Everest challenges where you climb the equivalent of Everest, not in Everest, but in different places. The one I'm going to be doing is Utah. you got to get up and down this mountain in Utah, snow basin, 
13 times, the equivalent of Mount Everest, 30,000 feet over two days, over 36 hours, from Friday 6 a.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. Can I do it? I don't know. I mean, I don't do a lot of elevation. I go out to Arizona. I'm going out to Colorado to try to get some in. But again, this will be a challenge unlike every other, and life is about experiences. I'm going to do that. So now I'm still using my duathlon coach, who I trust. Uh, nothing against the Everest people's workouts, but I'm going with who I trust. And he's giving me the same kind of workouts, running, biking, and lifting, and some yoga, and some stretching, but longer and slower. So not training for the short distance duathlons, trying to build up more endurance, build up more of an aerobic base. Um, so I'm trying to go from what I was doing seven, eight hours a week to I don't know, at least 12, trying to get to 16 hours a week if I can of just time on my feet, you know, just getting out there time on the feet. Now the elevation I can't do out here on the East coast, but hopefully getting in some in Arizona, I'm going to get in some this weekend in Colorado and we'll see what happens. But I try to schedule my day. I try to be very guarded about my mornings. I know people ask me about radio. I do radio with Ross Tucker every every Wednesday. But try to stay away in the mornings as much as I can and meetings and all that and have the, the meeting time and the radio time and the reactive time in the afternoons. That tends to be my routine. Obviously, I can't guard my mornings as well as I want to all the time. But that's just the way I am. So that's routines. And that sort of leads to the question I get a lot on Twitter, friends, family, everyone asks me, do you want to go back to a team? Uh, as people know, I was at the Packers nine and a half years. I helped out the Eagles a year and a half. Uuh, you know, I think the basic answer is no. And the reason I say basic is because you never say never. I mean, someone hands me the keys to run a team. Uh, it might be the right time and place, might be the right location, I guess. But I have no interest in that, you know, and I think one thing that hopefully makes me valuable as a media analyst, as a, someone in the media, is that I don't, that I don't want to go back because I see so many people in media that don't really say much. I mean, they're just saying something that will get them noticed to get a job somewhere else. They're really doing a job audition and they want to get their name out there and they want to get noticed. And when the GM openings are out there, they want to be in that mix. No, that's not me. Don't want it. Um, why? Well, you know, a couple of things. Working with the Packers was great. I loved it. I have so many fond memories. But, you know, the first few years was just wonderful that, you know, here I am in this place that wraps itself around a team and so many great things going on. And look what I can do. You know, look what I can be here in Green Bay. And everybody talks about the Packers. Isn't that so great? And after a while, that just got old. You know, that I couldn't leave the house without talking about the Packers. I wanted more diversity, not diversity with racial and cultural that that's lacking in Green Bay. But that's not really the issue. Diversity in life, you know, talk about other things, have a bigger world, have a bigger picture, travel, enjoy. And that's kind of where I've been since I left the Packers. Um, I look at my career also in a little bit of a philanthropical role, which is not uh, much of a sacrifice, I understand. But but hear me out. Chapter one of my career agent, you know, representing players back and forth between different agencies. There was a stop in Barcelona along the way and, and managing a, a world league team in Barcelona, but agent, you know, and then the second chapter of my career, 10 years team, you know, seeing the side of management 
And I'll get to agent versus team in a minute. People ask me about that all the time. But this third chapter now embarking after uh, finishing a decade of it, finishing a decade of doing this. And what is this third chapter? Well, it's media, it's podcasting, it's TV, it's radio, it's newsletter, it's columns, it's writing, and it's academia, it's teaching, etc. But what it really comes down to, to me, is my way, my way of giving back. Because I think everyone should have this in their life where they give back. Now, a lot of people give back by writing a check to their favorite charity, their cause, their hospital, their disease cause, whatever it may be. I get it. And it's not like I don't have money to do that. And I do some of that. But my giving back is my life, is my professional life. Because I know and enough people tell me that I have unique, truly unique perspective. You know, you can go through Twitter and hopefully you're just not going to find someone with my perspective. And I'm not trying to be brigacious, but in anything in life, try to be unique, try to be different. And that's what I try to do. So what I'm giving back in this third chapter of my career in hopefully a charitable way is unique knowledge and insight and perspective. Peeling back the curtain of pro sports, especially football, peeling back the curtain of sports business and law in the ways that I understand it, taking complex topics and making them digestible for a mass audience. That has always been my goal, whether doing it in a, in a tweet, in a column, in a blog post, in a lecture on ESPN in front of millions of people on CBS, like I did the other day. I mean, that's it. I have fun doing it. I enjoy it. And the best parts, the best parts are the feedback. And listen, I'm not one of those guys that gets recognized. (laughs) But every now and then I do. And when I do, it's usually the same thing that people say, which I so much appreciate. It's not the being recognized. Oh, my God, there's Andrew Brent. Can I get an autograph? That's not me. You know, those are much more famous people than me. But when I get recognized, it's usually something like, I learn a lot from you. Basically, that's it. Or sometimes it's very sweet. You know, you you gave me a new perspective. Now I'm going to law school. Now I'm going to business school. Now I'm into that. I follow you everywhere I can. I follow your tweets. But, but basically, what they tell me is that I learn from you. And again, you don't have to pay tuition. (laughs) So I'm giving back in my way that I know happened. Do I want to go back to a team? No, no, because that to me is a very limited life. Your life is surrounded by the team. Your life, you're on call with the team. Things are going to happen. You're going to be part of it. And you live and die by the fortunes over 17 weeks. You live and die by an injury to a player, you, you know, yes, there's that community and there's that all for one, one for all mentality. And there's that team idea. I get it. That's intoxicating. But do I miss the Packers? No. I mean, I miss the weight room. <laughs> I miss the sauna and the steam and the cold dip. I miss the, uh, Tom Labatt, our strength coach that gave me great workouts every day. I miss uh, the concierge medicine of having doctors on call for us all the time in my family. 
Um, I miss the six, seven nights a year. You have big wins. You know, we have more wins than that, but big wins and celebrations and just excited locker rooms. But that's not enough. It's not enough for a, a dominating career like that. I miss the money. Sure. It's great to make that kind of money. You know, it's certainly more than I make now through all my gigs, but Hey, life's more than that. If you do a job for money, it's always going to come to haunt you. You know that. So the answer is no, but I never say never. I mean, if someone gave me the keys to some big NFL franchise, who knows, but I doubt it. (laughs) I really do. I doubt it. Okay, this brings up another question I get all the time. Did you enjoy being an agent or a team executive more? I think it's just different strokes for different. It's like picking a child. Uh, I mean, listen, here is the difference between the two roles. As an agent, your primary, you're all, you're really, I always say this, you're like a fantasy football player. You have these clients on different teams. You don't care about the team. You really don't. You may say you do, but you don't. And the worst thing agents say is that, I'll make it cap friendly for you. Of course, I'll make it cap friendly because it'll be cap unfriendly after the first year. And I always tell agents with that, don't tell me about the cap. It's my problem. Don't even talk about it. Don't say it's good. It's bad. Whatever. I'll deal with the cap. Anyway, agent, you're worried about the players. You're like fantasy football. You have this player on that team. And that's all you care about. And as an agent, probably only 20 to 25% of your job is negotiating team contracts or endorsement contracts. A good 60-70% of an agent's job is filling the pipeline for the future, which is recruiting, which is the hardest part of being an agent, which is groveling to 20-21 year olds because so many people are out there doing the same thing. That's the tough part of being an agent. The recruiting is absolutely necessary. If you're a good recruiter, you're going to be a good agent. If you're a bad negotiator, you'll probably can still be a successful agent. There are those out there. I won't name names. If you're a great negotiator as an agent, but you don't recruit well, well, good luck because you're going to be a great negotiator for seventh round contracts, which are cookie cutter. Uh, So anyway, as a team negotiator, it's much more intellectually challenging. I did like that part of it because now your every action has a reaction. It's like stuffing an octopus in a box managing the salary cap. There's always something sticking out. You have a roster on your wall. Every day you come to work, you're massaging, architecting the team all the time. You sign a new player. You have to quiz and deep dive with the personnel people and the coaches. This is a good player. He's going to make it. Who's he going to push out? Does that push out player have guaranteed money? Does that push out player make more than this player? How are we going to affect that? You take the first three or four picks in the draft, they're in, they're in, they're not getting cut. Who are they going to push out? And you're trying to continue to architect your team. You're looking at when guys are up, how are you going to get to them, what core players you can go after and sign. So I'd say intellectually, being a team management is much more challenging and thereby, to me, satisfying than being an agent. But the team has your hours. And as an agent, you have your hours. No, I know your clients have your hours you have your hours. I can't tell you how many agents I know whose office is their phone. Yes, sometimes they're sitting in their house. Sometimes they're sitting at a desk in an office, but usually they're just moving. You know, agents are on the move. They're setting up their players. And if the the recruiting mode is nonstop, 
And even the recruiting mode doesn't stop after you sign them. Then you got to get them to workouts. Then you got to be at the workouts. Then you got to talk to the teams. Then you got to meet with them, take them out to dinner a few times, pre up to the combine, then after the combine, then after the, it's it never ending. And you have so many clients that want your attention. If you have a lot of clients that it becomes very onerous, but it's exciting. If you're a young guy, you know, being an agent is cool. It's exciting. You're ramping up with the top players and you're having fun. Uh, as you get older, you get married, you have great kids. It's a tough role. That's a tough job because you're not going to see your kids with a team. You'll see your kids more. It's more stable, but you're still on with the team all the time. And I really grew to resent the trips. You know, they're only eight or 10 a year, but I grew to resent them. And that's not good. That's why I had to get out of the Packers. I grew to resent them because I would go on these trips. We'd get in on a Saturday. I mean, the one good thing, me and the team doctor, Pat McKenzie, we'd take a run when we got in. And I'd usually meet him somewhere for dinner. I'd meet an agent out for dinner or whoever I knew in that city. That's fine. But game day, you get there so damn early. I don't know, three hours before the game, and you just stand around. You don't do anything. I have no role. You sit in the press box, which is sterile. I didn't know that at first. You can't cheer because there's no owner's box for the Packers. So we're just sitting among the media. And then you can't cheer. So you're not excited. You can't get excited too excited when your team does well. And it sucks when your team doesn't and you're in this press box on the road. And then after the, you know, maybe there's an injury. So you do a little work. You say, hey, you know, call an agent. Can we get your guy in for a workout? It looks like we got this guy hurt. But that, that's the extent of it. And then you sit around another two hours after the game while they do their media, they get showered, everything else. And then you get on the bus and then you get in the airplane and then you get back at three in the morning. I didn't, I didn't, I, I was supporting the team. That's why I went, but I don't I look at that as wasted time. Just a waste of time. I could watch from home. Anyway, if you start talking like me and you're with a team, you get, you should get out. <laughs> and this, that's what I did. I got out. Okay, quick question. Uh, just so many questions about my time for the Packers. Uh, I'll just answer one right here, which is you talked about signing Charles Woodson and how hard it was to get him to come to Green Bay. Was that a problem with other players? Yes. I mean, listen, my role in Green Bay was to get guys signed early because once they sniff free agency, it was tough. You know, listen, we're in a geographically undesirable place. The weather's not good. It's rural, uh, not a lot going on. And, but once guys got there and they're all about football, they love it. And maybe they have family there and maybe they just settle in. But yeah, this was something that came up a lot. Um, <clears throat> so that's why you try to sign guys early. You don't let them taste free agency. Signing free agents, we weren't into that as everyone knows about the Packers, but obviously the biggest free agent ever went to the Packers with Reggie White. People say he found God. Well, he found money because the Packers offered a lot more than any other team. That's why he went there. So we have those things going on. With the Packers, um, you know, uh, the Woodson story is really an emblematic one. You know, uh, we looked around. No one was chasing Charles Woodson in free agency. I have no idea why still to this day. What a great player coming out of the Raiders. And we went after him. And I knew from day one, I called him the first day. And I called every day for 36 days, every day for 36 days. And I knew a couple things were going on. One, we're the only team seriously bidding for Charles Woodson. And two, 
he didn't want to come. <laughs> because if he wanted to come, I wouldn't be calling 37 days in a row. He was waiting for someone to jump in, whether it was Bruce Allen in t- and John Gruden in Tampa Bay, certainly, whether others that trying to jump in and, and get his, you know, sign him up. But yeah, this was, this was rough. Finally, you know, these discussions happened throughout those 37 days where the agent, Carl Poston, would say things that Charles was thinking like, you know, oh, tell, uh, tell me about Green Bay. Are there any black people up there? And I'm like, no, you know, besides the team. No, not really. But I would say, hey, I'm Jewish. You know, no Jews here either, but I'd make it work. We make it work. You know, what do black guys do up there? I'm like, I, you know, they hang out, they enjoy it. You know, they, they get into football. And it'd just be this constant. And I would say, listen, Charles went to school in Ann Arbor. It's kind of similar to that. It's kind of a college town. It's atmosphere wraps itself around the team, even though I knew Ann Arbor was a lot more diverse than Green Bay. But that's the way I, I talked about it. I felt like I was the Green Bay Chamber of Commerce talking to Charles Woodson's agent. And it got to the point where I, I just realized I'm negotiating against myself. I got to hold back here. And finally, Charles realized he had no other options and came. And he, you know, it was tough at first because he comes from the Raiders where there are no rules. We had a lot of rules and he clashed with McCarthy, but it got better. And Charles became such a leader, such an admirable player. And he's going in the Hall of Fame with the Packers this week, uh, this summer, which is great. Um, I just think that when you look at a, you know, a situation of attracting free agents, everybody's got money because of, excuse me, salary cap. The Packers have a lot of money because there's no owner diverting it to any other causes. So we could compete financially, which is very thankful in my job. You could. There's some things you couldn't control. Was it equal out there? No. When we're chasing a player, other owners are flying them in on private planes and we're using a puddle jumper from Chicago or Milwaukee. Yeah, that's probably not a good look for us. Um when, you know, they fly in in private airports and other locations and we're flying them into this tiny airport, uh, it's across from the casino, you know, I mean, listen, there's some things that you just can't make everything equal, even though the NFL is all about competitive balance and trying to equalize level of playing field, but that's where we were. So, yeah, I mean, let's be real. I dealt with questions from free agents about race. I dealt with questions from free agents about weather. I've dealt with questions from free agents about culture, about diversity. And you just try to be as honest as you can and professional and tactful as you can in dealing with it. Uh, And that's what happens. Okay, let's take one more on this edition of um, Ask Andrew. I think um, there's so many more. I need to do one of these every month or something because I have so many stories. People are asking I'm kind of talked out on Aaron. You know, I've done enough podcasts on Aaron. What's going to happen? I think he's going to be there. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be there in the beginning of training camp, but I think he will be there. Life is about options. And despite all the noise around this, what are Aaron's options? Retire or play for the Packers? I think he'll play. Make make noise about it. May make it uncomfortable for the Packers, but the Packers are going to get their wish, which was no matter if they upgrade his contract or not. I think they're going to get their wish, which was we played Jordan Love in 2022. That was the plan. I think that's still the plan. And, oh, by the way, we have the best quarterback in the league, one of the best players in history, leading us in 2021 before we turn it over. So the MVP is going to be a seat warmer, making whatever he makes. Say they bump him to $30 million a year. 
and he plays. And then he's moved. Now, whether he's moved without his choice, in other words, traded, or they give him a void so he can pick his place, or there's some combination of the two, I think that's what will happen. But I've said this from the moment they pick Jordan Love, number one, first-round quarterbacks play. We know that from Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to sit. He's not going to be flipped. And number two, it put an expiration date on Aaron Rodgers. We know that. Now, Aaron's probably saying, well, let's just do it now. Screw this. I'm not down for being a seat warmer again. But yeah, what's his option? He's not going to retire. He's not. Okay. Last question I'll answer, which I try to get in every one of these that I do. So many young people ask me how to get in the business. What do I do to go to law school, to go to business school, to go to sports management school, to get an internship? How do I do that? Listen, I, I wish there was an answer. I wish there was some formula where I could say, you do this and you'll get a job with a team, with an agent, with a sports union, with a sports media company. No. And listen, these aren't the set like jobs that have formulas. And if you get an offer, it'll probably be on a Friday and you'll start Monday. You have to just turn around your life from whatever you were doing. The only thing I keep telling young people is this, go narrow, go deep. I've used that phrase before, go narrow, go deep. In other words, you're talking to someone like me. You want to say you, what you want to do, but say what you want to do. Do not say I want to be in sports. Eh, no, I want to work for a team. Eh, no. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What part of a team do you want to work for? And within that part of the team, what do you want to do? And what can you do different than every other kid asking about that job? So I tell students, young people, professionals trying to transition, find your special sauce, find what makes you tick, find what you love and go for it, write about it, blog about it, podcast about it, talk about it, get it out there because then you're different. You know, I want to manage a cap and I have this unique way of doing it and and it may be preposterous, but do it. Get it out there. Write about it. Blog about it. Podcast about it. I taught this student in Miami. He said, well, I do a podcast, but it's only 30 people listen. I'm like, great. You just set yourself above everyone else in this class because you do a podcast about something you like, something you have unique perspective on and want to get your opinion out. And as you talk about it, you'll develop more of an opinion and more of an opinion. Who cares that only 30 people listen? You're not trying to get sponsors. You're trying to show you have unique insight. Do it. Okay. So when I see young people say, I want to do that, no, tell me what you want to do and do it. And if you apply for a job, have a writing sample because everyone can talk. Can you write? Can you communicate? Can you do what I've been hoping to do for the past 50 years, which is take a complex topic Make it readable, digestible, in bite-sized pieces for a mass audience. Can you do that? Can you talk about what you're interested in in a way that makes me interested or a future employer interested? And if you get in front of someone, show your passion. I remember talking to this woman in an interview. She was kind of talking about the, the standard stuff, sports, sports law, whatever it was. And then I see down on the lower in her resume that she uh, did a summer job teaching swimming to disadvantaged children or de- development disabled children. 
and I stopped her talking about sports and whatever. I said, no, tell me about this. And she lit up. She lit up talking about helping these kids to the point where I was getting teary. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's who I want. I don't care. They don't, they're not talking about sports. They've got passion about what they do, what they like, what they want to do, what's important to them. What's important to you. Okay. If you want to work in sports, it better be important to you. Not something you want to tell your friends about, pick up girls with, say it's cool, Instagram about, forget all that. That's all secondary. Is it something you really want to do? And can you be good at it? Because you have a special interest where you can develop that and show it. So again, young people, there's no formula. There's no form to get into sports. I'm a bad example. I fell into it. But show us, show employers, show me, show everyone why you're different. Have a writing sample, have a podcast, have a blog, social media about it. What's your thing? What's your special sauce? What makes you different? What differentiates you from so many others in this business trying to make it? If you can do that, you're going to go far. Okay. I'm going to leave you there. (laughs) We got through four or five of these. I got so many questions backed up. I'm going to do a lot of these. Give me your feedback. Let me know you like this or not, because I'll try to do it more often. Just a sample of all the questions I keep getting about my career, about where to go, what's going on, and I'll put it out for you on this podcast. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. Follow me on Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2. On Twitter, of course, Andrew Brandt. Then Sunday 7 newsletter, doing well. I hope you get it. It's a labor of love for me. It comes out every Sunday morning. Sign up at andrew-brandt.com. Apple Podcasts, rankings, and comments. Truly appreciate it. Give us a good comment, especially if you like this format I just did. Musical producer Sam Brandt and my producer extraordinaire Brian Neal. Thanks to you and thanks to everyone listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brown. 